Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice with the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for their former things have passed away. And he who seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is the truth of God's word when we talk about we are waiting in Advent. We are waiting for that day which we are as sure as we can be sure of its future. This is what is waiting for us. That's why we prepare our hearts. I don't know if you're like me, but as Chris was playing that little interlude on the piano in that Noel song, and we were waiting to sing again. It just reminded me, even artistically, we're just sitting here, and we hear music, we're waiting, but there is going to be a day when all of that will be true, and we long for that day. And this season builds our anticipation for that day. We wait for it. And that's why we're here. That's why we gather week after week to long together to encourage one another to stick in the fight because we know that He is the beginning and the end. We will receive the waters of life without payment because the payment has been made through His very own life. That's who Jesus is. That's why we celebrate His birth, we celebrate His life, and we rejoice in the mercy and kindness to be able to gather together and dream and look forward to that day when we will see Him again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that we can spend this time together, longing together, looking forward together to that day when you will wipe away every tear, when there will be no pain, there will be no more death, there will be no more suffering. All of those things will pass away, but you will remain. And I thank you that your word promises me that I am and will be your son. That I will be with you. And I join the prayer of my brother, Kent, that this day might be the day where others in this room who do not know, do not have that assurance, aren't sure about that end, would be given that blessed assurance Jesus is mine. That we might have hope. I pray that we as a church would be shaped by these words and remember their truth and we would long for that day. That that day would be our aim, our purpose. Jesus, we love you. Be glorified in this place. Move, Holy Spirit. 
We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, who will conquer all. Amen. Well, you can be seated. It's so good to be back with you again this morning. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Parks Church. And for those of you that have been around for a little while, um, you know we uh, should give special thanks to uh, Kyle uh, for stepping in. What a gift we have in our church that when Matt um, is overwhelmed with allergies, which happens to us all, um, but you don't always get asked to sing every week with your allergies, um, that uh, Kyle can uh, step in and lead us uh, and the team, and so thank you to those guys um, for leading us so faithfully, and Tammy and the band. Um, we are, um, as was read for us, um, we're going to look at Isaiah, continue looking at Isaiah as we have been over these last few weeks for Advent, and um, hear and see a story of Isaiah's great prophecy and the love that he has for us and God's, uh, the way that God moves the way that God brings about faith and the assurance that faith brings. Obviously, we have talked a lot about, as we just prayed, as we just read from Revelation 21, we long for Jesus. We desire to see His glory, to experience His presence with us. You know, that's one of the things that I love about books and movies I'm sure like you, they, they transport us to a, another sort of place in time. My family and I went to see Star Wars yesterday, the latest iteration. There will be no spoilers this morning, but um, it was a great movie, and it just transports you to another world, another world where things are very different than our world, and good books and good movies do that, and we're kind of able to suspend reality, some more suspension of reality than others. But we suspend realities and we find ourselves in this other place. In our hearts, we know when we, the reason that we love stories is because our hearts, again, as we've talked about, are wired for something other than what we experience here. And we long for that other thing, that other place. But I don't know if we long for it enough. And my hope over these last few weeks is that we have just been maybe even trained, reminded, fresh and anew this morning or these, over these last few weeks to long for Jesus, to long for His presence, to long for a life without pain and suffering even more. But I think one of the things that we fail to do is we tend to relate to God or think of God rather than a longing and a desire for His mercies to be made new in our life and for us to experience Him. We miss the joy of Christ and therefore sometimes the joy of even this longing season and this Advent and Christmas because we really, when we think of God, we ultimately just live really in fear. We're anxious. We're worried. We think to ourselves, have we done enough? Can we do enough? So often our Christian faith becomes a life of fear because all we're trying to do and what we live for is just do just enough to avoid the pain of this world and ultimately to avoid judgment from God. We think of our life, as we've talked about many times before, on this sort of balancing scale. Have we done enough to avoid pain and suffering? Have we done enough to avoid God's judgment in our lives? But that's no way to live. 
Who wants to live in constant fear? That's not an enjoyable experience. That's not what God desires for our lives, that we would live just in constant fear. And ultimately, a fear of God does not produce real fruit and real faith. A fear of God is not what leads to true faith in Him. And it doesn't lead to a life that is lived for Him. If the only reason we avoid sin is so that we can not go to hell, we've missed the joy of Christ. We've missed all that He has to offer, and we do not have. That's not the faith that Christ came to deliver us into. Because ultimately, what does that lead to? What does fear, what does anxiety lead to? If you've ever spent any time talking with a counselor or anyone that spends time in that professional sort of helping, um, you'll know that those types of things lead to resentment. They lead to anger. We don't end up loving God. We don't end up worshiping God because we are trying to live the right way. We end up resenting Him for never being able to live up to the, to the, the line that He's drawn, whatever that line we've created in our minds. But Christ came that we might live for Him. By the way, parents, this is why so often we see young people reject the faith. They resent a belief system that is built around simply avoiding sin, absent of worship. That doesn't make sense to anyone. But when we try to put that on anyone else, it leads to resentment. And that's not what Christ came to give. True Christian faith is not about avoiding hell but it's rather about enjoying the grace of God, resting in Him. And so we don't live the Christian life by just simply rejecting temptation and saying no to these things and yes to the right things, mastering our flesh, or just simply resisting all of the influences of the world. That's not what the Christian life looks like. The Christian life, we live it by rejoicing in Jesus and finding Him to be the fulfillment of all our desires. Finding him to be enough. One great theologian of old said it this way, true faith is the capacity to act fully, joyfully, enthusiastically because our eyes have been opened to the glory of Christ. Are your eyes opened to the glory of Christ? Do you see him for who he is? Not just the baby in a manger, Not just God coming to be with us, but God coming to be with us, to live with us, to live a perfect and righteous and holy life so that He could be lifted up, conquering sin and death, and to see Him in all His glory. That's the Jesus that we long for. That's the Jesus that we put our faith and our hope in, that we want to see. And that ultimately, that type of faith was what was lacking In Ahaz, the king that we heard read about from Isaiah chapter 7, he didn't have true faith. All he was trying to do was to get by. In a sense, trying to just appease God. We know, and if you don't know this, you can't appease God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Only Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, could appease God's wrath towards sin. But it has been done. In Jesus, 
He has been appeased. We can't continue to try and create this on our own and do it all on our own. We have to rest in Him. We can't generate our own salvation as we talked about last week. Our salvation only comes from God. But here again in this story, we see another man who is trying to create his own salvation, trying to find his way out. Think about, just for a moment, the last season of trouble that you might have been in. Perhaps it was an argument in your home, maybe something going on with your boss, maybe something with your kids, students and kids alike. Maybe you're thinking of some relationship, something that happened with your mom and dad. They didn't say yes when they should have. (laughs) All of those things, just imagine those moments. And when we find that, that place of trouble, what do we try and do? Even those of us like me who are not engineers, we strive to figure out a way to engineer our way into whatever we want. And that is not true faith. We can't engineer, we can't create a path to our own salvation, to our own resolution of the problems that we have. And the reason that we don't glory in Christ is because we don't look to Him as the final and only and ultimate solution for those problems. And so we try, like Ahaz did, to figure it out on our own. Now let's give a little context to what we heard read, and we'll look at it again, Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah was called into ministry, it says in chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died. That's around 740 B.C. But then when we get to chapter 7, we're a few years down the road. And there's this crisis in Isaiah's generation. King David had been put on the throne. King David had died. He had handed his throne over to Solomon, by the way. This will be important to remember that God had made a covenant with David that the Messiah would come from his lineage and his throne would never fall. And so God had made that promise to, to David and David had passed it on to Solomon. But then 10 of the tribes of Israel decided that things weren't going the way they wanted them to go. And so they decided to just sort of um, uh, uh, remove themselves from the kingdom of God. And so 10 of those tribes, what's called the northern kingdom, we read about this in 1 and 2 Kings, by the way. The northern kingdom is the seven or 10 tribes pull themselves out and they say, we're going to establish our own kingdom. So we have the northern kingdom, which is now known as Israel. Now, sometimes your Bibles can be confusing because you have to understand, is God speaking to Israel, the northern kingdom? A lot of that is in the Old Testament. Or is he speaking of Israel as the people of God as a whole? It's important just as you study, this is just a side note, to have to figure that out in, in whatever book and, and text you're reading. But in this text, he's referring to Israel as those northern kingdoms. And so you have two tribes of Israel in the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem resides. And so what has happened at this, at this very moment as we read Isaiah chapter 7 is the northern kingdoms have aligned with the Syrians to avoid attack from the Assyrians. So the Assyrian army, a great power in the world, has come against the people of God, the seven tribes of the northern kingdom. And so what they said is, hey, we'll make some alignment. Syria is just to our north. We'll align with them militarily, and that way we can figure things out. Do you notice that they are doing all of this under their own power? There's not yet a mention of God, yet a mention of his plans, what he would desire for them. That's the reality of what's happening in the northern kingdom. Well, as the threat increases to grow, this threat of attack from the Assyrians, the northern kingdom aligned with Syria comes down to King Ahaz, and they say to him, you need to align with us so that we can defeat the Assyrians, so that we won't all fall. 
But Ahaz doesn't want to do that. He's prideful. He likes his kingdom. He likes the southern kingdom that he is in rule over. And so he says no. And so now where we pick up in chapter 7, the northern kingdom has said, we will come down and we're going to attack Ahaz. And we'll remove him from his throne and we'll place, put someone in his place that will align with us and that way we can avoid defeat. So all of these things, this is what is happening in the context of the world. And one of the things that we can learn here and is just important to note and so powerful to remember is think about all that is happening in the world in this very moment. I just talked to you all about geopolitical war, military efforts. God is not surprised by any of it. God is not taken aback by any of it. God's plans are not shaken or destroyed by any of it. He is going to accomplish his purposes. And the prophecy given to us in Isaiah 7, 10 through 14 is a part of that plan. One of the things that we need to be reminded about is, yes, God moves. And there are sinful men and there are things that are happening all over our world. The political landscape, the geopolitical landscape, how armies and all the things that are coming against and go, all of the movement, none of that is outside of God's sovereignty and none of that will wreck his plans, his purposes. Revelation chapter 21 that I read for us will happen. There is nothing that can happen on this earth that will shake that from happening. In the same way, when Jesus, back way back here in Isaiah, the Emmanuel, Jesus himself is prophesied, God with us, is prophesied about, nothing that could have happened on the scene between Ahaz and the northern kingdom was going to change what God intended to do. There's security in that, friends. So often we look around our world and we see all of the circumstances of our world, and I am with you that things look so bleak at times. The brokenness that we see in our world is real. The pain that we see around the world is real. And we are called to step into that mess and bring the hope and the love of Christ into those situations. But for those of us who have been given, who have received Christ, who have received sonship or daughtership, if that's a word, we can rest in that hope. We can have joy in the midst of that, and we don't have to be leave and caught off guard and think that no, things have gone awry. God has forgotten us. But see, what Ahaz forgot and didn't remember in this moment is that, as I said before, God had made a covenant with David about his throne. That throne would not fall. The northern kingdom could not attack Jerusalem. They had no power against God's covenants, his promise made. God will sustain his people. And the problem of Ahaz is that he doesn't believe. He doesn't truly believe that God will deliver. And ultimately, he doesn't want to believe because if God were to deliver, that would mean that he wasn't creating his own salvation. That would mean it wasn't up to him to devise a plan out of this calamity with the Assyrians in the northern kingdom. In Isaiah chapter, nine, or chapter 7, verse 9, before we get to the text that was read for us at the very end, Isaiah speaking to Ahaz about this problem, and he's calling him to have faith and to believe, he says at the very end, if you are not firm in faith, 
you will not be firm at all. One of the most prophetic, one of the strongest words that we can receive in all of Scripture. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Our faith and what we believe about God, our confidence in Revelation 21 is what sustains us and drives us and keeps us moving forward no matter what comes against us in this life. And if we are not firm, if we don't stand on that firm foundation of God and His promises to us with that hope, then nothing that we do will really ever matter. We will not be firm at all. We will be constantly, as Paul would talk about, tossed to and fro, tossed about by the waves of life. I want to challenge you and ask you, if that is your life, if that is where you find yourself, do you just sense in your life that you're tossed to and fro, that every day you don't know what blow might come, but you're worried that it's going to knock you down, and then the next day there's a new blow that comes, and you're thinking, yes, that's probably going to knock me down. If that is your life, if you're just bouncing back and forth, trying to figure out just a way to get through till the end of the day, I want to just tell you, friend, you're not standing on the firm faith of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you and plead with you to put your hope once and for all. And you might have sang songs. You might know stories about Jesus. You might be like I was as I grew up, hearing all the things and could recount many things. But I was not putting my faith and my confidence in God, in what he would do. And so I was tossed to and fro. And every day there was something new that could come against me. And I miss the joy of salvation by God's grace. No, not perfect in any sense of the word. Not insulated from the pains of this life in any way. But I do not lose hope because of Jesus, because of what he has said, because I stand firmly grounded on him. And nothing else. Everything in this world will fade away and will crumble. But he will not. And so I stand firmly on that ground. And rooted in that, rooted in that faith, decisions, life, everything is a derivative of that. How can you be sure about anything in life if you're not sure about who God is? You can't. He created the world. Everything you see is of him. Colossians 1, created by him, in him, for him. It's all his. And if you don't know who he is, if you're unsure of that, and by the way, friend, I do not say that in any way judgmentally saying, you're not sure, let me tell you, I'm the smart guy. No, what I say is, if you are unsure, you won't be able to. Only when you are sure about who God is and what he has done will you find yourself to be able to stand firm. And so perhaps today, if you've been wrestling with that, you might need to be your prayer as we close in a few moments. It might need to simply be, God, I am unsure. I need you to make me sure today. Give me assurance today. Teach me. Tell me who you are. I can't stand. I am tossed to and fro. Just admit it. Be real about who you are. There's nothing wrong with that. And ask him. 
Give me assurance, Lord. I plead with you. Give me. And the problem that we have is we don't plead with God for anything. All we want is to get through again to the next day. To be transported into a book or a movie or a story that just kind of appeases us for a few moments. Numbs us to the realities of this world. That's why we lack true faith. True faith stands firm on the foundation of God and who he is and what he has said. So let's look closely at Ahaz in this little story briefly. Again, the Lord in verse 10 has said, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. So God comes to Ahaz after making this promise and saying to him uh, through Isaiah, you need to stand firm. And he's essentially saying, do you doubt who I am? Are you doubting me? Let me give you a sign. I will show you who I am. You can ask anything you want. As deep as Sheol, which is where the hell, the depths of hell is what that word kind of means or is translated, or as high as the heavens. Anything you ask, Ahaz, ask for a sign and I'll give it to you. Ahaz says, I will not ask, verse 12. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now that sounds very pious, right? We read that and we think to ourselves, oh, well, Ahaz is, he's a good dude. He's not, he's not one to put the Lord to a, the test and, 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 and ask him to do something. He'll, he's acting as if he will just kind of trust the Lord. But we know from his actions that he doesn't trust the Lord. He doesn't believe all the things that he has just told him in the beginning of chapter 7. So as we read into this, we know that Ahaz doesn't want to trust God, and so he refuses to ask for a sign. He doesn't want to see a sign because then his rejection would be completely evident to, to him and to the rest of the world. That he is saying, no, I want to do things my way. So often, we don't ask, as I just said, we don't plead with God, show me who you are, reveal yourself to me, because we don't want to really know him. We don't want to see him. Because here's the reality. As much as God comes to deliver us, comes to extend grace and mercy in order for us to ask God to show us himself and then to actually believe what he says when he teaches us, he shows us in his word, we have to receive conviction. Conviction comes first. And we have to wrestle with the fact that no, we are not enough. No, we could not do enough. There is no hope from within ourselves. That old adage, pride comes before the fall. Why? Because if we are too prideful to admit that we need God, we will never find God and we will ultimately fall. It's only when we realize we need God that we will ask for him to reveal himself to us and to show himself to us. And when we see that, we will receive conviction and God will show us and will instruct us Little one, I love you, but you're wrong. These are areas of your life that you don't add up. These are things you need to change. These are things that are going to be different about you as I make you new. And we say to ourselves, I don't want that. Surely I can figure out a way to toe the line. I can look and kind of act and be even received as somewhat of a good person, right? All those good people in the world, they don't exist. 
None of us are righteous, not one. But if we can just do enough and toe that line, then no one will really ever know. But God knows if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. And so we have to, Ahaz didn't want to ask God for a test because he knew that if he saw God answer that and deliver him, show him his ways, he would have to acknowledge that he himself was not God, that he was not the ruler of his own universe. Ahaz didn't want to trust God in his ways because you know what else that would mean? Doing things God's ways. That would mean repentance. That would mean offering grace and mercy to others. That would mean laying down his life to live the life that God had called him to live. But in spite of Ahaz's response, 13, he says, Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that a weary God? He basically says, so you're, you're okay with messing around with earthly things, but you don't want to hear from me, God? <laughs> and then he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Well, you didn't want to ask for a sign. I told you that I would give you a sign. I told you that it was my intent to give you a sign. I said that you can have any sign you would like. You rejected that, so let me just tell you the sign that I'm going to give to you. There will be a sign in verse 14. Remember, God's plans are not thwarted by the effects of men and what we do and say. God's plans will be accomplished. And so in verse 14 he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There's a prophecy given, a promise of a sign. God, he says, will send a son. Now here's the interesting thing, and this text has been debated for many, many centuries. This is not just a prophecy of a son, but it ultimately becomes a prophecy of two sons. There are two sons given. First, if we were to read forward in Isaiah chapter 8, we would see that Isaiah was given a son. Maher Shahal Hajbaz. You just heard Maher because the kicker that got cut from the Cowboys. His full name, Maher Shalal Hajbaz. That's Isaiah's son that was prophesied here. That was a son that was given to Isaiah. And ultimately, the enemy forces... He was an answer of this sign, and essentially the enemy forces of the northern kingdom that were coming against Ahaz, guess what happens? They failed. They did not accomplish what they intended to. Why? Because this son was a sign that God was with his people. That's why it says, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Yes, his given name was Maher Shalal Hajbaz. But he was Emmanuel. He was a symbol of God's presence with his people. And because God was with his people, no enemy could come against his people. He was with them. The second fulfillment of this prophecy, and I say fulfillment of it, as Matthew read this text, he's looking back knowing Isaiah, knowing the great prophecy. And in chapter 1, it's... He tells the story of Jesus' birth. In chapter 1, verse 22, and this took, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which as Kent shared with us means God with us. God would be with us. Matthew read this prophecy and he knew and he saw the birth of the Messiah. Here's the reality of our problem. Ahaz faced a foe that he did not know how to defeat and he could not defeat under his own power. He thought he could figure out a way, he could engineer a way to defeat or stand against this army. And God comes to him and says, no, you won't be able to defeat them. I will because I am with you. Ultimately, Ahaz did fall, and he fell into destruction because of his lack of faith. So many of us, we think about the problems and the challenges that we face. We think about our world, all the things, the challenges and the brokenness that we see. And we need to remember that there is no political crisis, there's no military situation, nothing that we could read about in First and Second Kings or through the prophet Isaiah about the condition of the world that God's presence with us does not overcome. God is with us, and because he is with us, all of those things that come against us, they will not stand. We will stand firm because of our faith in him. Our problem is we look at all, all of the things that are going on around us. And I know I'm speaking in a global sense and just kind of thinking about our world, but I even want to just encourage you just in, in your own life, in your own home, perhaps in only your own minds right now. There are things, challenges, hardships, pains, frustrations. And in your life, they are as big as the Assyrian army coming against Ahaz. But God was saying through Isaiah, my presence with you is your salvation. And God is saying to us, whatever those things that we face, my presence with you is your salvation. The fact that I came to be with you and am with you until the end of the age, until Revelation 21 is accomplished, I assure you, I will see you through. We look around and we try and figure out our way out of our problems. Ultimately, we try and we just, let me figure it out. Let me create my own salvation story. And I want to encourage us all this Advent season, this Christmas season that we celebrate in just a few days, remember that our salvation comes from God alone. Trusting God to save us has no downside. Sure, it comes with conviction. It comes with a change in your life, perhaps, walking away from these things or those things. But trusting God in his ways that are higher than our ways has no downside because ultimately our only hope is the fact that he came to be with us, the fact that he is still with us 
That's the only source of hope we have in the world. We stand firm in our faith, and because of that, we are firm in this life because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done. So I want us to spend some time, as we close out this Advent season, we're going to spend some time in prayer. I just want you to bow your heads and just acknowledge Acknowledge those strongholds. Those places in your life that faith is lacking. I know there are so many in this room that are dealing with any number of Hardships, even the joy of this season can't really overcome in your own heart and mind right now the stress that you're feeling, the burdens. You're wondering, can I stand at all? I want you to hear this promise of God. I will send forth my son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Whatever fight you are in today, dear one, You will not have victory on your own. You will fail. You will die. If not, for God's presence with you, His intervening power. But because God is with us, because His promises are true, because we can rest in full assurance of those promises, we know, we can know, that nothing formed against us will stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Christmas is about receiving the presence of God with you in the midst of a broken world. So I'm going to pause from speaking for a moment, and I just want to invite each and every one of us in our own way to cry out to God and say, God, I long for your presence with me. The Lord might be bringing to mind some of those things that you've been striving to do under your own power, and you just need to confess and say, Lord, yeah, I've been trying to do this on my own, and I can't, and I clearly have failed. 
confess to the Lord and receive his mercy and grace and believe when he said that I would send you my own son to be with you. Whatever is going on in your life, just give that over to the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, I lift up my friends in this room. Men, women, boys and girls, young and old, people whom you love. Lord Jesus, I ask you in your name to be present in the battle. We give you all the glory that you are due for fulfilling the promise that was made thousands of years ago through the prophet Isaiah that you came to be with us. And so I pray that every soul in this room would know that you did that, know that your word is true and that they would receive in this very moment your presence. Many of us didn't ask for a sign. We said, no, we don't want to put you to the test, Lord. But you've given us a sign, a sign of your love. So now all that is left for us to do is to lay down our pride and say, we trust in you, God. We put our faith in you. Would you make us into a people who are firm, because we stand firm in our faith in you. Help us to not lose hope, Lord Jesus. Help us to remember your promises to us. Help us to long for the day when you would come, when we will see these words become reality. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We long for that day. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song with words that encourage our hearts to long for that day. As they sing, if you just need to remain seated, though, just continue the conversation that you've begun with the Lord. Please don't let our words or my words interrupt what God is speaking to your soul right now. That is the most important thing. But as they lead us, join us in song, perhaps, and let's long together for that day when we will see Jesus and our faith will be made real. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.